Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Volume. What's up, guys? It's Jason from Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel. Football season is here, and there is no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. It's my favorite sports gambling app out there. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. They have exclusive offers, tons of ways to play like spread and money line, over-unders, team totals, same game parlays where you can combine multiple bets from the same game. My favorite feature is that cash-out feature. So if you already feel pretty good about your bet and you're in good shape but you don't want to lose whatever it is based on some stupid thing with garbage time at the end, you can cash out your winnings before the end of the game. Use promo code Jason T and download the FanDuel app today to make every moment more this football season. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, Dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All 
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great weekend and that your weeks are off to a good start. We are going to be continuing with our power rankings today with number eight, the Denver Nuggets. We're also going to spend a couple of minutes at the beginning talking about that Sham Sharania report today about the NBA and the Players Association potentially changing the draft age from 19 to 18 in the next CBA negotiations, which is obviously super important on a bunch of different levels. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And last but not least, if for whatever reason you guys can't get over to YouTube to finish the video, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Really quickly before we get started, I am super excited to tell you guys about our new partner here at Hoops Tonight, AG1 by Athletic Greens. This is a foundational nutritional drink that has completely changed my life. I've been taking it every day for about two months now. Obviously, with what I do for a living and with what I do on the side, which is I coach and I train young basketball players, I also train and play the game of basketball myself almost every single day. I strength train three or four times a week. Just like so many of you guys, I have a very physically and mentally demanding day. And so there are two things that are vitally important to me navigating those days. And that's consistent energy levels and what I call good brain days. And AG1 has monumentally helped me in both of those areas. Have you guys ever had a bad brain day, like a day where you struggle to focus on things or you struggle to communicate, put thoughts together and just everything in your day just kind of becomes a slog mentally? Those days are utterly crippling to me, as you can imagine, trying to do this and to deep dive into these teams and to get into these complicated concepts and to convey them to you guys the best that I can. It can be crippling to me to have a bad brain day. And so a long time ago, I actually started journaling good and bad brain days. I'd write down what type of day I had mentally, and I wrote, I'd write down my behaviors uh, that surrounded those days. And so I could try to replicate them a little bit better. And last week, for the first time ever, I had four consecutive good brain days, which is like unheard of for me in my journal. And I attribute the vast majority of that to AG1 and what it has done to fill gaps in my diet and support me nutritionally. In addition to that, I have more energy throughout the day, which is helping me get through my tasks. Like I said, it's just completely changed my life. There are 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in this drink. The blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, and your aging. Right now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and I think it's delicious. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of these little packets that you could take and dump in a water bottle. I use them when I go on trips. They're amazing. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Jason T. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Jason T to take ownership over your health and to pick up the ultimate 
daily nutritional insurance. I'm really excited for you guys to check that out. And I want you guys to tell me about your experiences with it in the comments. And I also have my DMs open as well. It's just done a lot for me. So I'm really curious to see if it helps any of you guys out as well. All right. On that note, let's dive into the NBA draft report. So sources say, according to Shams, that the NBA and the NBA Players Association are in serious talks on new items for potential collective bargaining agreement that includes the draft age eligibility going from 19 to 18, the return of high school to the NBA. So first of all, this just makes sense. NBA teams want earlier access to talent. Why wouldn't they? What has the NCAA ever done for them? You know, and do they want lower, what they consider to be lower level coaches developing their players? Probably not. Like they want to, they want more control over player development. They want to get their hands on these players younger, just like they do in Europe, right? And then on the player side of things, most of the players who make it to the NBA rightfully feel like there's exploitation taking place in in the NCAA. So both parties here, the NBA and the NBA Players Association, are going to be in favor of this sort of thing. So this change was inevitably going to come. One of the foundational parts of this from the player's perspective is the problem with paying players in college. And I've always been a huge believer that players deserve to be paid. I've always just acknowledged that it's super complicated. Like, in my opinion, only the top tier players actually deserve to be paid. Like, if you talk about it in terms of generating revenue, right? Like, think of it like this. Like, Zion Williamson at Duke... You guys would probably, if you, if I told you that Zion Williamson was going to your LA fitness tomorrow and you could go watch him do a workout for $15, you'd probably, a lot of you probably pay up to go see that sort of thing. But let's pretend me is a role player at Duke who comes off the bench and shoots threes and plays defense. Like if you heard I was going to be at LA fitness, how many of you guys are going out of your way to come watch me play, right? Like, it's not like all of the Duke players are generating a ton of revenue and deserve to be paid. It's kind of the top tier guys. And then the arrangement for the lower level players, like getting your school paid for, your room and board paid for, that kind of thing, that's actually a pretty nice arrangement. Like I, I felt like I got a good deal in college getting all of my, my school paid for. That said, there's clear exploitation taking place at the top. But every time this sort of this conversation comes up, the actual solution is extremely difficult to come up with. And so the idea of just taking those players entirely out of the college system, to me, just makes a ton of sense. I really like the NIL rules, the name image likeness rules, and I like the way that that's confronted the problem, but there are still a lot of issues with it. And to be honest with you, any solution that's been proposed is going to come with issues. And so removing them from that equation entirely and putting them in the professional system, I think that just makes the most sense. Um, Not to mention, for those players the NBA is just going to do a much better job of player development. It's actually better for them in their professional development. They'll get better medical care. They'll get better coaching. They're, they're going to be uh, within their actual daily schedules. It'll be structured in a way that's built around them being basketball players rather than them being student athletes. It's actually better for a Zion Williamson type to go up through a professional system than it is for him to go through Duke, even though yes, it's entertaining. And there obviously is going to be a loss. Like, College hoops losing top-end talent, that's going to hurt the TV networks a little bit, right? That's going to hurt a lot of those things. But I would venture that some of that is going to be canceled out by 
improved continuity, players staying for four years, like fan bases being more emotionally invested in rosters because the players stick around. So I think some of that gets canceled out there. But at the end of the day, what was happening currently or I should say before NIL, where these guys were going to college and playing for a year, getting paid under the table, getting lesser basketball education and lesser basketball training before they inevitably go on to the NBA. None of that ever made any sense. And and I'm glad we're finally moving past that entirely. I was talking to uh, my producer, Ryan, who's, uh, like I always say, the unsung hero of the show. uh, And he was talking about how uh, that Adam Silver, if it were up to him, would probably want to go to the the academy structure that you see in Europe, where from younger ages, players are around professional basketball environments early and often. And I 100% agree. I think that that ideally would be what Adam Silver wants. And maybe one day that ends up being the case. I don't know if they end up doing something like that with G League Ignite or if they find some other way. But I wouldn't be surprised if you start seeing the best 15, 16, 17-year-old prospects in the NBA one day undergoing training at some sort of NBA facility and doing online schooling or something along those lines. Like I think that's a direction we're heading in. And honestly, it makes sense to me. And I'm behind that concept. Um, so obviously the uh, the big the big ancillary topic, the fun story about this has to do with LeBron James and the fact that he can become a free agent in 2024. And now Bronny James, instead of being draft eligible in 2025, he'd be draft eligible in 2024. So obviously they could become uh, free agents effectively, free agent and draft right around the same exact time. So the question there becomes, will LeBron James uh, play with Bronny? Will an NBA team draft Bronny to get LeBron James? And to me, the answer to that question is entirely up to LeBron and how good he is at basketball at that point. During this season, LeBron's going to turn 38 years old. During that particular season, the one in question, LeBron would turn 40 years old. Now, I believe that LeBron will still be around the 20th or better player in the 20th best player in the NBA at that point because of his ability to play with strength, which does not fade in age, and his basketball IQ, and the way he's improved as a shooter and his incredible ability to pass the basketball. So really, it just comes down to health. Like if LeBron is still healthy, meaning he avoids the catastrophic injury by that age, yeah, you absolutely could see a team draft Bronny. Because LeBron has straight up said he would be willing to take a discount, and then it becomes like, hey, if I have like the 17th or 18th pick in the first round, and if I draft Bronny, I'm going to get the 20th best player in the league who would absolutely fit in along alongside other stars because of all the little things he does on a basketball court. I think it makes sense. And so I, I, if LeBron avoids catastrophic injury, I think you could see a team draft Bronny as a potential pl- uh, a player to pull a LeBron in. Now, as far as Bronny goes, the question is, is he an NBA player? And no question he has a long way to go, but we have seen flashes over the course of this summer of a player that does have NBA potential. He's a great athlete. He's a bit undersized right now. He's only six foot three, but he has great feel for the game. His skill is uh, uh, is progressing at a rapid rate. He does have that potential, but he has to hold up his end of the bargain. But I let's say he's a you know mid second round type of talent. You could see a team draft him in the late first round or mid first round if they don't see a pick that they really like and they see the prospect of getting LeBron at a veteran minimum as part of the process. So. This, this whole story is interesting on a bunch of different levels. 
it will foundationally change college hoops. Maybe less in maybe it won't be as good for the the networks in terms of money because obviously they won't be able to pull the eyeballs that they could with the top tier talent that comes through the uh, comes through you know uh, like the Zion Williamsons of the world. But I do think in terms of the overall health of the sport, it'll be good having that continuity, having it kind of fall back to a more traditional model and the players there being there for the long run rather than having an eye to a future. The players there being true student athletes that are actually trying to educate themselves as opposed to just using it as a stopping point before they get to the NBA. So I think college hoops foundationally will change. The NBA will be better because they will get earlier accent, access to top talent and better training for those players. And then obviously the door is open now for LeBron with his free agency in 2024 to play with his son. Lots of interesting stuff on that front. All right, let us. we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Dive into number eight, the Denver Nuggets. So last year, they were sixth in offense, 15th in defense. They finished 48 and 34, which is extremely impressive given the roster they had 
at their disposal. And then they lost in the first round to the Warriors, a series they were uh, completely overmatched in talent-wise. Um, this offseason, they traded Will Barton and Monty Morris for Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith. A really interesting trade on a, on a bunch of different levels. This is an example of a fit trade because when you're looking at a guy like Will Barton versus a guy like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, really how good they are has so much to do with their situation. Like, I think that Will Barton is a considerably better on-ball player than KCP. But I think KCP is a, consider, a considerably better off-ball player. I think he's a more reliable spot-up shooter, and I think he's better at attacking closeouts because of how gifted he is slashing to the rim. Also, KCP is a much better transition player running the lanes and finishing at the rim in transition. So I like him with Jokic as a fit thing there. Without Jamal Murray, they desperately needed Will Barton to help create shots on a possession-by-possession basis. But with Jamal Murray coming back and with the rise of Bones Highland as a really interesting young guard who shows flashes of potential as a really good two-way scoring guard, like obviously with a a long way to go, they don't need the on-ball creation from Will Barton as much. And so KCP kind of fits a unique need there that I really, really like. And as someone who covered KCP with the Lakers in 2020, I promise you Nuggets fans, you will love having that guy on your team. He is a flat-out winning uh, starter-level NBA two-guard that you will count on on a nightly basis to do the things that your team needs needs in order to win basketball games. Um, I do like Monty Morris more than Ish Smith. Not that Ish Smith isn't capable. Uh, he's obviously a journeyman backup point guard himself. But if if that's the price that needed to be paid to get KCP, which I do think is a better fit with this particular roster, I also think he's a bit better defensively than Will Barton, then this is a net positive for Denver. I don't see it as any other way than that. They also signed Bruce Brown, who's a good two-way role player. The one thing that's going to be interesting with Bruce Brown is they did use him a ton as a screener in Brooklyn, and he operated a lot out of the short role. Um, I'm really curious to see how that works out with Denver because – they use Jokic as the role man more than anybody else in the league, basically, except for Joel Embiid. So from that standpoint, I just don't like I don't see where I like Bruce Brown's gonna be in more of a spot up role. And it's not that he's bad in spot up situations, but he was used there a lot less often than he was uh in, in, in Brooklyn. So I think that'll be an interesting kind of fit thing there that they gotta figure out. But the 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 other direction that my brain goes there with the signing of DeAndre Jordan, which we'll get to in a second. They don't really have a backup center if they decide to stop using DeAndre Jordan, which I think they will at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if they go small for stretches and go with Aaron Gordon and Bruce Brown in the front line and then start using Bruce Brown as a screener in in that specific role. So obviously they signed DeAndre Jordan. He's he's a good locker room guy. That's the story I keep hearing because I keep asking, like, why do people keep signing this guy? And he legitimately is terrible as a basketball player right now. Like he, uh, he's a drop coverage big that is disengaged on the vast majority of possessions. That very rarely moves his feet. He trods up and down the floor in transition. He doesn't have nearly the vertical spacing capability that he had when he was younger, and and just in general will hurt your basketball team when he's on the floor. But I keep asking, how does he keep getting deals? And what I keep hearing is that he's just an incredible locker room guy. So maybe that's what it is. But then I look at the depth chart, and they don't really have a big after Jokic. And so I would imagine to start the year, 
you'll actually see him in that DeMarcus Cousins role where he's the backup big. But my guess is at some point early on, maybe in the first 10 games or so, Mike Malone will realize that he's not really playable anymore at this point in his career, and then he'll probably opt to go small instead. They also drafted Christian Braun and Peyton Watson. These are two good draft bets on wings that I think could potentially be guys that fill that Jeff Green type of role in the future, but I doubt they play much this particular season, depending on how injuries go, obviously. And then the big news here for Denver is the return of Michael Porter Jr. and the return of Jamal Murray. So in 2021, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr. played 117 minutes together over five games, and they were plus 46 in those 117 minutes, which is unbelievably good. So really small sample size, but when we did see this group of four core players together, they were a dominant basketball team. And that's really, really exciting for Denver fans. We're going to dive into a bunch of different ways that I expect that to manifest this year. Their depth chart right now at the guard position, Jamal Murray, KCP, Ish Smith, and Bones Highland. On the wing, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, Jeff Green, the two draft picks, Braun and Watson, we'll see. Zeke Nagy, I, I, he's playing like a wing in the NBA, but he played big when he was at Arizona. Uh, he might end up playing some small ball center too as an option if they d- opt to go away from DeAndre Jordan. But I, I, he could shoot the shit out of the basketball, so I, I really like him as a player. It's just a question of how they end up using him. Uh, but they did use him more as a wing in the past. And then Biggs, uh, Nikola Jokic, and DeAndre Jordan. All right, let's move on to the offensive side of the basketball. We're going to do offense, defense, best case scenario, worst case scenario, and then biggest X factor, a player I am very, very excited to dive into a little bit. So we're going to start with transition with the Nuggets. I know I usually start with the half-court stuff first, and then we get to transition. But the way that Denver attacks in transition I think is super unique, and it's my favorite part of their offensive attack. So I wanted to start with that there. First of all, they are a top 10 transition efficiency team two years in a row now. And last year, according to Cleaning the Glass, even with the limited talent that they had, they were the second best team in the league pushing in transition off of live ball rebounds at 1.28 points per possession. Now, there are three concepts here that I want to quickly touch on. First of all, defensive rebounding. Everyone knows Nikola Jokic is an outstanding defensive rebounder. Him securing that rebound is step one of the break. Step two is Nikola Jokic's ability to make reads with the basketball without having to give the ball to a guard. So many teams in the league, their big man gets a rebound and they have to look around and wait for one of the guards to cut back to the basketball, which slows down the break. There are uh, bigs that are capable of bringing the ball up the floor or are capable of making outlet passes, but nobody that does it at the level that Nikola Jokic does. Even Kevin Love in his prime, he couldn't dribble the basketball the way that Nikola Jokic can. He's like a combination of Kevin Love as an outlet passer mixed with the open floor game that you see from the big point forwards that we have in this league. So obviously, step one is securing the rebound. You can't start the break without securing the rebound. Step two, though, is players running the uh, the wings and Jokic's ability to throw outlet passes. And he's got a huge arsenal of them, overhead passes, slingshot passes, baseball passes, everything under the sun. He hits his players 
in stride running up the floor. And because he doesn't have to give the ball to a guard first, it makes it tougher for the defense to actually get back in time to stop those actions. And then when he doesn't see those actions, he'll bring the ball up with pace. And it's honestly kind of funny because Jokic is a player that I don't view as overly fast. And for obvious reasons, I don't think Jokic would say he's fast either. And we'll talk about some of the downsides of that a little bit later. But it is kind of impressive, the type of pace that uh, that Jokic will bring the ball up the floor with and the way that it can collapse a defense around him and open things up for shooters and people filling in behind him. I really like KCP as an addition on this front because when he was with the Lakers, I, I always talk about KCP as an outstanding one-leg jumper. And great one-legged jumpers that can take long strides, they can extend out and finish at the rim faster than people can get to them. That's what makes him so gifted attacking closeouts, and it's what makes him so dangerous in transition. He's just galloping down the floor, and he can extend out in front. It's just really difficult to meet him at the rim and block him. So adding him as a legitimate transition threat, Aaron Gordon is an outstanding uh, transition threat throwing the ball up the floor. And then Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray trailing the play and getting advantage situations as Jokic brings the ball up the floor with pace and shovels the ball back to them. Again, 1.28 points per possession pushing off of live ball rebounds last year, which was second best in the entire league according to Cleaning the Glass. That's my favorite part of, uh, of what Nikola Jokic does and my favorite part of Denver's offense. There was a game last year... Um, Sixers fans cling to this game as the evidence that Embiid was better. But it was a game where the Denver Nuggets went into Philly and beat the Sixers. And in that game, there were a bunch of highlight plays at the beginning where Nikola uh, Jokic was struggling guarding Embiid in single coverage and struggling to score on him on the other end. And you could make a highlight reel of that game of just shot attempts from both players and you'd think, oh, Embiid's better. But there was a stretch in the early second half of that game. Well, really, it started in the second quarter, and it kind of carried over the entire middle portion of the game where Jokic was transi- uh, like like utterly obliterating Philly in transition, just starting the break with live ball rebounds, either pushing the ball up the floor with a live dribble or making outlet passes to players as they run uh, as they were running out. In that particular game, Bones Highland got going with transition opportunities from Jokic And then at the end of the game, riding that confidence, he made back-to-back, at least two, maybe three, huge three-pointers that ended up being the daggers that closed that game for a Nuggets win. And it's, it's one of the many examples of how judging how good a basketball player is goes so much deeper than their individual skill set. Uh, offensively in terms of ball handling and shooting or isolation possessions or highlight reels or anything along those lines. There are so many different ways to impact winning. And the best players in the world are, are the players that fill in gaps in their game with all of those little details, like something like being able to initiate offense in transition as a ball handler. It's one of the many reasons why I think Jokic is a better player than Embiid right now. When we get into the half court, it's a ton of Nikola Jokic as a screener and a dribble handoff guy out of the high post. They structure it in a bunch of different ways. You'll see them do some stuff in horns. You'll see them do some stuff in pistol. But the general structure there is Jokic out of the high post, handing the ball to players and screening for them. Um, 
Jokic, the, the, the only other player they'll use as a screener, and I am interested to see how Bruce Brown factors into that because they used him as a lot as a screener in Brooklyn. But Aaron Gordon, with the way their lineup is structured, is pretty consistently drawing bigger and slower defenders. And so um, I watched a, 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 this morning, I watched an entire game from 2021 back. It was bizarre watching it. It was back when there were no fans at the arenas. But it was uh, a game when... Murray, Jokic, uh, Porter, and uh, Gordon were all available, and they just beat the crap out of the LA Clippers. <laughs> and it was a really, really interesting basketball game to go back and, and rewatch because it's been so long since we've seen that core group of four guys together. But they were dominant when they were together. But in that particular game, the uh, they were using Aaron Gordon a lot as a screener to get you know Marcus Morris switched on to Jamal Murray or things get slower footed players to get switched on Jamal Murray so they will use some screening with Aaron Gordon and my guess is they'll do so with Bruce Brown as well but foundationally this is a Nikola Jokic as a screener offense no team used their role man in pick and roll more than Nikola Jokic did a lot of times we're talking about pick and roll possessions and the vast majority of them end in the ball handler coming off the screen and shooting or coming off the screen and taking a floater or coming off the screen, going all the way to the rim or kicking it out to the perimeter. The actual role man itself doesn't get used nearly as often as you would think. And Jokic is the most used role man in the league this year, this past season. And that is where you put Jokic in position where he's putting a defense in rotation and making reads. So if you hit Jokic with a pocket pass in the middle of the lane, he's effectively going downhill without a defender on him, which is automatically going to collapse the defense. That just puts Jokic in a position where he can spray the ball out to everybody. And with his ability as a passer, and we're going to get into this a little bit in the post later because Jokic is one of the best post players in the league, but the combination of Jokic passing out of the post and Jokic passing out of the short roll has actually generated ridiculously high-quality spot-up opportunities for his teammates. So think of it like this. The Lakers had terrible spot-up talent last year compared to the rest of the league. Is one of the big reasons why they struggled. We talked about this at length. They had weak role players. They were the second-worst team in the league in points per possession out of spot-up opportunities just because they struggle to actually... Uh, capitalize on that. Well, Denver is in a similar situation. Their role players last year were underqualified compared to some of the other guys around the league because of the loss of Jamal Murray, because of the loss of Michael Porter Jr., who would be eating up a lot of those spot-up possessions. Well, last year, the Nuggets were fourth in spot-up efficiency at 1.08 points per possession. That's the type of advantage creation that Nikola Jokic gives your team. He will, he will make it so that even underqualified players, even players that struggle with shooting or attacking closeouts and making reads, he will put them in such an advantageous position that they will produce better than many of the other players in the league. This is an offense that is structured around Nikola Jokic's ability to generate advantages for his teammates, either coming off of those dribble handoffs or in or, or ball screens or in spot-up situations. Also, they're one of the best cutting teams in the league. They were fourth in cutting volume as well as sixth in cutting efficiency. That's just Nikola Jokic's relentless ability to hit cutters, which motivates cutting. One of the hard things for players off ball is if they don't feel like they're going to get the ball, they're not going to be willing to do things like 
you know, screen away or, or relocate or cut back door if they don't think they're going to get the basketball. The Nuggets are incentivized to cut and to cut frequently because Nikola Jokic will, res- will, will relentlessly hit them when they cut. It keeps their offense in motion. It's a huge part of why they were so successful. Again, we're talking about a team here that last year was literally sixth in offense despite having the level of offensive talent that they had. And it's, once again, just a testament to what Nikola Jokic can do with the basketball. So post-ups obviously are a huge part of their offense. They were second in volume behind the Philadelphia 76ers. They dumped the ball down to Joel Embiid just an absurd amount of time. He, he posted up 150 more times than Jokic did last year. Um, but Nikola Jokic was number one in post-up efficiency last year. This is like looking at the skill sets you'd think, oh, like Joel Embiid, look at how talented he is hitting these step-back jump shots. Look at his ability to draw fouls. A Nikola Jokic post-up generates 12 additional points per 100 possessions than an Embiid post-up does. And that's before we get into what he can do passing the basketball, which is to a whole other level than what Joel Embiid can do. Now, I think Joel Embiid's a better defensive player than Jokic by some small amount. But there, in my opinion, is a pretty decent chasm between the two of them as offensive players. And that's a big reason why I am so high on what Nikola Jokic can do relative to what Joel Embiid can do. Uh, one of the things they do really uh, in a really interesting way to set up Jokic for success in post-ups is they don't just do the lazy thing, which is have him fight for position and dump the ball to him on the block. They run a lot of Jokic post-ups off of cross screens. This is one of the things that was impressing uh, impressing me a lot on film this morning. A lot, they won't just dump the ball into Jokic. They will, but they don't just do that every time down the floor. They'll have him run some sort of action that has him catching and turning and facing at 10 feet with the defender closing out at him. So he can shoot some catch-and-shoot 10-footers, which he makes at a high percentage, so that he can turn and do a power dribble with space between so he can get his momentum going so that he can gain more position moving towards the basket. Or he can get deeper seals closer to the rim and just turn and finish right away. The way they structure their offense to get Jokic advantageous post-ups is a huge part of why he's so efficient down there. They had a set against the Clippers that I was watching this morning out of horns where he was on the right elbow. If we're facing the basket, he's on the right elbow. And there's a post entry to him at the elbow there. He turns and does a dribble handoff to whoever's coming out of the corner. And after that dribble handoff, the guy in the opposite corner and the guy in the opposite elbow run and set a double cross screen, literally a double cross screen for Jokic to run over to a post up on the left block. He ends up catching so wide open that he just turns and shoots a completely unguarded 10-footer. What is so smart about that concept, not just that super complicated play, that not super complicated, but more complicated play that I just mentioned, but even less complicated versions like cross screens and things along those lines, is big men really struggle to navigate screens. Most of the best screen navigating basketball players in the world are short and stocky and strong because they're difficult to put a body on. But when you're when you're like in that Clippers game, when you're asking Zubat to run through a double staggered screen, he's going to get caught on him. He just is. How much time has he spent practicing running through double staggered screens? How like in most levels of youth basketball, you're playing with two bigs and they're cross screening for each other and they'll just they'll just 
switch, right? Or they won't have a second player down there to do cross screens with. They just don't have to navigate a ton of screening actions, chasing, locking, and trailing. And so I think that's really smart that Denver does that. And I think it's a big part of why Jokic has been as efficient as he's been in in post-up situations. Bottom line is, everything that I just mentioned there has to do with efficiency in a season where they struggled with offensive talent off ball. You're now plugging Jamal Murray into that mix and he's outstanding. I'm not going to get any further into him yet because I want to spend a lot of time on him later in the show. Michael Porter Jr., one of the best spot up three point shooters that we have in the league right now. Contavious Caldwell Pope. I talked about his fit as a transition player. You know, the one thing with him is Will Barton generated a lot of chemistry with Nikola Jokic in those ball screen and dribble handoff situations. It'll be interesting to see if KCP can replicate any of that, but it it might not matter with the development of Bones Highland and with Jamal Murray's return and with him being in a primarily spot-up role, and he's going to get outstanding spot-up opportunities that he's going to capitalize on. I think that this team has a, a very good chance to be the best offense in basketball this year. As a matter of fact, I would predict that if they stayed largely healthy, if all four of their stars averaged 65 games played, that they would finish the season as the number one offense in the league this year. Moving on to the defensive end of the floor. So they're very traditional in line with the rest of the league. They run drop coverage with Jokic, and they switch just about everything else. Big shock, you've heard that from the the vast majority of the teams that we've dealt with this year. We need to spend some time on Jokic and drop coverage, though, because it's kind of like a... uh, a conflicting uh, narrative because he's actually a very good drop coverage big in terms of his ability to keep the roller in front of him and defend ball handler driving at him and defend shots around the rim. But the reality is, is that that's only one type of offense that kind of plays into that. And that's the ball handler being willing to drive into the teeth of the defense rather than being aggressive as a pull-up shooter or being uh, aggressive in the mid range, and so like it, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a give and a take because keeping him around the rim and drop coverage, he's more impactful there defending shots at the rim. Having him close to the rim helps him get defensive rebounds. Like if he's chasing everybody in switches or coming way high out of the drop up to the level of the screen, he's not going to get as many defensive rebounds. If he doesn't get as many defensive rebounds, he can't start the break. So in a lot of cases, it's just a trade-off. Denver is willing to give pull-up jump shots or to struggle a little bit in five-out drive-and-kick situations, understanding that they benefit in transition with what Jokic can do grabbing rebounds and starting the break and what he can do protecting the rim. So he's not as limited as a traditional drop coverage big, right? But he's also not nearly as gifted defensively as the true versatile defensive backline guys that can switch or cover in space better or come high out of the screen and still contain and all of those different things. Like even in that Warriors series, when Jokic was coming high out of the drop up to the level of the screen, Steph was just going right around him. And so that's always going to be an issue for Denver, how they can utilize Jokic defensively without overly compromising their defense, but also not overly compromising their transition attack, which depends on Jokic being around the rim. So it's a very complicated topic. Denver fans with rose-colored glasses will view that in a very positive light. You know, I'm 
not a Jokic detractor. I try to be very fair about him. I view it in the middle. He's something better than a traditional drop coverage big, but something less than a versatile defensive big man that can do more, like a Bam at a bio, for instance. Um, moving on to the kind of the other aspects of defense, Mike Malone is a good basketball coach, and he's very good on the margins. He's top 10 defending the three-point line, which is just smart. I'm, I'm always quick to look there because the smartest basketball teams in the league are chasing teams off the three-point line because that's where they like to go for large portions of their offense. In terms of the math, it's just a very efficient way to attack. If you can't lock down the rim, like you need to either be able to completely shut down the rim or guard the three-point line really well. If you don't do both, I don't believe in what you can do defensively. The Milwaukee Bucks completely shut down the rim. So I'm a little bit more at peace with what they do giving up shots at the three-point line. The Denver Nuggets defend the rim terribly. Like we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. They were 25th in points in the paint allowed last year. But they guard the three-point line well. And so that's kind of a foundational piece for their defense that they can lean on, at least in a playoff setting. Um, I really like uh, – oh, and then lastly, on the Mike Malone and the margins bit, they're the best defensive rebounding team in all of basketball. In terms of defensive rebounding possessions, no team secures more of the opponent's misses than Denver does, which is just – that's really smart on two fronts. So you're, you're limiting the number of uh, shot opportunities that the opponent gets, and you're limiting their efficiency by taking away the high-value shots. That's a way to squeeze out of – out of lesser defensive talent, a middle-of-the-pack defense, and that's what they ended up being, 15th in the league. Um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope is a legitimate perimeter defensive threat. He's going to struggle against your bigger wings, like I know he can't guard Kawhi Leonard in isolation situations, or I know he can't guard a LeBron James in isolation situations, but that's what you have Aaron Gordon for. He's there for that. KCP is a player that you can throw at a Paul George who can do a decent job, or against many of the scoring guards that we have in this league. I like him as an option there. And then Aaron Gordon is your textbook perimeter rim-pressuring wing defender uh, like that can guard the Kawhis and the LeBrons and the Jason Tatums of the world. So they have two good matchups that they can throw at those specific guys, which I really like. Um, the, the big swing factors for their defense this year is going to be Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray was solid, I thought, solid on tape uh, in the 2020 season and the 2021 season. I thought he held up okay in the playoffs. Certainly not a great defensive player. Michael Porter Jr. was trending in the right direction before his injury, but he was still pretty average to below average. And then this back thing, it's a question of whether or not he lost any mobility as part of that. I saw a video of him working out a couple months ago. Didn't look overly quick, but he's still in the middle of his rehab at that point, so I don't want to jump to any conclusions. But those two... You, if you're going to have Murray, Porter Jr., and Jokic on the floor, you, you're going to need some kind of defensive leap or some sort of you know uh, progression to competency from either Murray or Porter to really become the type of defense they would need to win an NBA championship. Um, Nikola Jokic's foot speed. This is something that I spent a lot of time talking about in our player rankings, but you know, there's just a proven method to attack Nikola Jokic on the defensive end of the floor. Push the ball in transition because he's going to struggle to keep up in a foot race. And then pull up shooters in pick and roll situations to pull him out of his drop. And then put him in spaced out situations, five out driving kick situations where he has to cover in space and make rotations that make him cover a ton of ground. 
if you do that, he will struggle. That's just a fact. I think I would hope that Nikola Jokic fans would be willing to acknowledge that as, as well. The Nuggets were 19th defending off of live ball, live ball rebounds last year. That's not good for a team with legitimate championship aspirations. And they're bringing in slower-footed players into their rotation compared to some of the athletes they had playing minutes last year. Teams know that you can attack Denver by pushing the break and by spacing them, spacing them out. It's just a fact. Um, that's why, despite the fact that Jokic was actually a solid rim defender, that they were 25th in paint points allowed. It's not about what Jokic can do when he's standing around the rim and people drive at him. It's about what Jokic can do when teams find a way to pull him away from the rim and the way that that opens up things at the rim for the opponent. My guess is that they'll finish somewhere around 15th in defense again, if I had to guess. But they're going to be one of, if not the best, offense in the league. So if we're talking about a number one offense and a number 15 defense, that's a team that's firmly in that top 10 in terms of net rating and their ability to beat teams on the scoreboard. The question is, can they get enough stops, especially in pivotal moments? And we're, going to, we're simply going to have to find out. Um, the one little interesting wrinkle there that I think uh, Nuggets fans could get excited about is, you know, I haven't made my picks yet this year, but uh, and we'll do so right before the regular season starts. But it gone to my head right now, I would bet that Milwaukee has a very good chance to come out of the East. I'd say, you know, kind of 50-50 between them and Boston, if I had to guess right now, and I haven't put a ton of thought into it. That means you're going to have to go through Giannis, potentially, to win a title. And there was some really interesting footage from Eurobasket of Nikola Jokic and his ability to guard Giannis. Giving ground, knowing he's not going to beat you over the top consistently, sliding his feet, taking contact to the chest and protecting the rim. He did a really nice job on Giannis. That's an exciting potential thing as a matchup in an NBA final series between the Bucks and the Nuggets, should it come to that. So best case scenario, obviously it starts with health. Michael Porter Jr. in his back. How quickly are they going to get Murray up to speed? Is his body going to hold up over the course of the season? All of those things. But if they stay healthy, I think this is the number one offense in basketball. I think Nikola Jokic is one of the best offensive engines in basketball. And he has a bunch of role players that are, are specifically equipped with basketball skill sets that play well off of what Nikola Jokic can do with the ball. It's really going to come down to can Mike Malone Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and Michael Porter Jr. in particular, obviously the strategic help and then the players themselves, can they figure out how to get enough stops to beat a Boston, to beat a Golden State, to beat an LA Clippers, or to beat a Milwaukee Bucks? I don't know. We'll see. But if Nikola Jokic plays the way that we know he's capable of, and he's been a dominant playoff player basically in every series outside of maybe his matchup with Anthony Davis where he struggled a little bit, if he plays to that level and they get enough stops, this team is absolutely capable of winning an NBA championship. And and and, and again, like in my player rankings, I had Nikola Jokic at seventh. And yeah, it's because I prefer perimeter players. I prefer... Uh, Luka Doncic and what he can do from the perimeter. I prefer LeBron James. I prefer Kevin Durant. I prefer Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, so on and so forth. But that does not mean that he can't be number one this year. He is absolutely capable of that, especially if he makes some improvements on the defensive end of the floor. And if he plays like the number one player in the year, this team is talented enough to win a championship. It's absolutely within reach. That's why I consider them the last of the puncher's chance contenders. Their puncher's chance is Jokic. If he plays to that level, they can beat anybody.
Worst case scenario, obviously health uh, becomes an issue. Their offense, I think, will be great no matter what. I mean, Jokic had him at sixth with all the guys missing last year. But their defense won't be able to get stops in, in pivotal moments if they don't figure out some things on that end. Without health, they won't be able to score in the half court against the best defenses. In that case, they're a playing team or a first-round exit at that point. So the part of this show that I was most excited for, because this is a player that I don't think has gotten nearly as much credit as he deserves in general, even when he was healthy. And I think he's poised for a big season, provided that his knee holds up. And that is Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is one of my favorite players in the league. He's the definition of the modern do-everything scoring guard. So first of all, he's an outstanding pull-up jump shooter. He shot 41% on pull-up jumpers in 2021, 41% on pull-up jumpers in 2020. He shot 45% on pull-up jumpers in the 2020 playoffs, including 43% from three. He's one of the most reliable pull-up jump shooters in the game of basketball. He is an expert at making the shots that most defenses are designed to give up. Most defenses are designed to give up difficult pull-up jump shots And that's what he makes as his bread and butter. That's what makes him a super interesting player. He's also extremely well-rounded. He shot 50% in the paint, non-restricted area. So like, think of that as like short floaters and push shots in the lane on three attempts per game. This was in 2021, the year that he got hurt. He was 42% in the mid-range on five attempts per game. That's very good. And this is the crazy part. He also got to the rim three times per game and shot 72% when he got there which is like ridiculous for a guard. That's what I consider to be good for big, strong, athletic forwards that are typically finishing above the rim. Jamal Murray is just incredibly proficient at every spot on the floor. It's amazing to me that he's not more well-regarded as a star guard in this league the way that he deserves. I don't know if it's because his big playoff run took place in the bubble and everyone just dismisses the bubble, which is outrageous, I mean, literally, it is the it is the uh, the like perfect basketball environment. Everyone's in the same gym. There's not fan distractions. It's just 94 feet of hardwood, 10 basketball players, and the Larry O'Brien at stake. That is basketball at its purest form. No one's going to strip clubs. No one's partying. No one's anything. It's just basketball. I don't see how succeeding in that environment is some sort of like. Uh, like some sort of red flag or some sort of detriment to your reputation. He should have been elevated for what he did in the bubble. This is the crazy part. He's, I've always thought of this in terms of the eye test and what I saw watching him, but when I was diving into the numbers this morning, it's crazy. This dude is a flat-out assassin, and he has a great feel for big moments. In clutch situations in 2021, he shot 51% from the field, 57% from three, and didn't miss a free throw. And he scored at a rate of 31 points for 36 minutes. In the 2020 playoffs, he scored at a rate of 36 points per 36 minutes on 56% from the field, 73% from three, and didn't miss a free throw. That's ridiculous. If any other scoring guard in the league did that, we'd be calling them a superstar. Now, he's not the defensive player that he needs to be to get to that point. And some of this is him being in Jokic's shadow. But Jamal Murray checks a lot of boxes of superstar guard. And I think he deserves a little bit more recognition on that part. He is a flat-out star. The question is, can he get back to what he was? ACL tears are weird. Sometimes they take two years to come back. 
He did take a long time in his recovery this time, so he should be okay. But if Jamal Murray is that guy, with how good Jokic has become over the course of the last two years, with what Aaron Gordon can do guarding the other team's best player, running the floor in transition and attacking closeouts, and with what what Michael Porter Jr. can do when he's healthy, they suddenly become one of the most talented players in the league. But it's just it's an X factor because we don't know whether or not it'll take more time than that for Jamal Murray to get up to speed. But he's one of my favorite players, and I hope he has a huge season this year to remind everybody what he's capable of. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support. We'll be doing number seven tomorrow, number six on Wednesday, number five on Thursday, and then we'll head into the final four next week. I will see you guys tomorrow. about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.